Look out, here comes a blitz. This is Coach Dad's NFL Half an Hour. Hut hi everybody, and welcome once again to Coach Dad's NFL Half an Hour. And what a half an hour it will be, as we'll get you right there, right in the huddle, right in the team shower, on the sideline, like you're a part of the action, in less time than it takes you to hear your beloved spouse rattle on endlessly about their day. Can you believe we're already at week six? I told you time flew. I told you, and some of you didn't believe me. I don't want to call anyone out individually, but time flew. You know time flew. And while I don't require an apology, it's never unwelcome. You, however, might require an apology after another shaky spread week for old Coach Dad. Six, nine, and one. That's not nice at all. Eleven and five on winners, though. So if you're in one of those weekly uh, pickings pools, hey, good for you. Speaking of pickings pools, there's some exploratory work going into a new kind of NFL playoffs pool that we might be trying out here before season's end. So if you're a high roller, you'll have the opportunity to make like medieval times and pony up. You ever see that at the uh, the medieval times when they have the horses come out in the garish costumery and they, they stand on their two hind legs on command? I tell you, they must beat those horses pretty savagely to get them to do that, you know. It's sad. Speaking of horses, I think we'd all be okay with taking a few light slams. Uh, Every single player in that abhorrent Thursday night football affair between the Colts and the Broncos. Though affairs are supposed to be thrilling, if a bit tawdry, passionate. This was more akin to what I imagine the experience of actually going into one of those coin-operated pornography booths is like. It's sad is what it is. It's very sad. 12-9 in favor of Indy after OT was the final there. Do I really need to tell you how those two teams reached those two numbers? Both of which are multiples of three? Come on, you can, you can figure it out. At least we know this week's Amazon Primetime Thursday special couldn't possibly be a worse matchup than this. After that miserable experience, though, we got back to football as it was meant to be played. In London, England at 6 a.m. on the West Coast in the U.S., it was the Packers and the Giants acting as the league's overseas ambassadors. And what an impression was made by the new head man for Big Blue as Brian Dable's squad moved to 4-1 and one with a 27-22 victory over Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. At some point, we might need to accept that the game has changed in the last few years, and a byproduct of that change might be a team like the Giants, who don't have the personnel for explosive plays, but do have an offense that can matriculate down the field and not make mistakes, aren't just some funky little oddity, but rather a genuine contender. On the topic of genuine contenders, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills got right down to business Sunday, getting out to a 31-3 halftime lead over the woeful Pittsburgh Steelers, and even added seven points for good measure, making the final 38-3. 
All three campaigns in play here, Allen for MVP, Buffalo for top team in the AFC, and Pittsburgh for the number one overall pick uh, that they'll use on a tackle. I'm sure it'll be good, but, you know, get a quarterback, guys. Ben Roethlisberger was, was drafted when I was in high school. But all three of those campaigns stayed on schedule with this one. The cutting-edge, calculated, analytical, next-gen L.A. Chargers barely escaped Cleveland with a win, triumphing 30-28 to after Browns kicker Cade York missed a 54-yard potential game winner with 11 ticks remaining. But here we are once again hearing Chargers head coach Brandon Staley defend another head-scratching late-game decision after he opted to attempt a fourth-down conversion up to on his own 46 with under a minute and a half to play. I wonder what the analytics say about a team's likelihood to retain a coach that wastes an exceptional roster by refusing to make any decision other than the one supported by data for two straight years. That's one stat Mr. Staley might be interested in learning about. Minnesota needed some points of the twilight of the fourth quarter and responded with a late eight on a Kirk Cousins sneak and two-point toss, taking back the lead around the two-minute mark and ultimately holding on to win 28-22 over divisional foe the Chicago Bears, who allowed the Norsemen's big two Cousins negators, Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, each to have a big game with Mr. Jefferson pulling in 12 balls for 154 yards and Mr. Cook finding the end zone twice over the course of his 94-yard day. Elsewhere in the NFC North, the Lions got zapped by Bailey Zappi and the New England Patriots, another team who, like the Giants, could establish themselves as a contender if their starting quarterback, Mac Jones, returns to the lineup and limits his mistakes, that is. There will be no Bledsoe-Brady controversy here, as Zappi served merely as game manager for an offense that primarily ran on Ramondre Stevenson. And run it did for a career-high 164 yards as the Pats mufasa the Lions 29-0. It's all Hakuna Matata in New Orleans, though, as despite Dandy Andy Dalton having to make the start for the injured famous Jameis Winston, the Saints topped the visiting Seahawks 39-32 that felt like vintage Sean Payton-era Saints football. Lots of points. Alvin Kamara going for 100 on the ground and 90 through the air. And Taysom Hill accounting for four touchdowns total. Why, all it was missing was an egregious non-call at the end of the game. And whining so intense that all sympathy garnered by the non-call is spent within like five minutes. Oh, Sean, we miss you. 12 straight AFC East matchups, 12 straight AFC East losses for the same old Jets. Until this week, of course, when Gang Green infected Miami early and Jets wouldn't stop spreading, walking off their home field in East Rutherford, New Jersey as 40-17 to 17 victors by day's end. If the Jets scoring 40 points seems strange to you, that could be because it's only the 13th time this century the team has hit the 4-0 mark, first since 2018, as it were. Speaking of big changes, divorced Tom Brady made his Bucks debut, compiling 350-plus yards throwing in a 21-15 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Marcus Mariota and the Falcons, remembering that it is not illegal to throw the ball forward, made it interesting late, but the Bucks were able to grind out a long drive to ice the game. Aided, of course, by game ball winner, referee Jerome Boger, 
whose egregious roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett negated a huge third down sack that would have given the birds the ball back. 21-17 was the final in Commanders-Titans, but the day was nearly very different thanks to Commander quarterback Carson Wentz. You know, I've given Wentz a really hard time on this program, and there's some who might think that's a little unfair. And to be honest, when you're watching a game like this, You see why people think that. This commander's roster isn't particularly great beyond the strong wide receiver depth. And yet, here's Mr. Wentz, completing 25 of 38 passes for 359 yards, finding Diami Brown for a 75-yard touchdown catch and run in the second quarter, and throwing an interception from the goal line with six seconds left, down by four. Has the Jags' Jeep been run off the road? Well, we certainly hope not, what with this being the Jags Junction and all of that, but Jacksonville did look lost at home on Sunday, becoming the first official victim of the Lovey Smith era, falling to the Texans 13-6. Is it time to worry about Mr. Golden Hair, Trevor Lawrence, who lost four fumbles two weeks ago in a loss to Philly and didn't do much to wash the stink off of this one, throwing two picks, including a back-breaking end zone INT, to Texans rookie Derek Stingley Jr. at the end of the first half. Speaking of those Philadelphia Eagles, the city of brotherly love breathed a huge sigh of relief late in the game Sunday. They all remembered exactly who they were lining up against, after all. This week's cardinal sin was a second-down scramble by Kyler Murray during a desperate drive downfield to tie or take the lead late. Mr. Murray slid short of the first down marker, one yard short to be specific, as the down and distance read third and one. No one informed Mr. Murray of this, however, who quickly moved to the line and spiked the ball to stop the clock with 22 seconds left on third and one. Don't worry, head coach Cliff Kingsbury said it was the right decision, whether he got the first down or not. Oh, okay, thanks, Cliff. The Cards were forced to attempt a potential game-tying 43-yard field goal, which broke just wide right for Arizona footman Matt Amendola, which allowed the birds to escape the scorching sands with their perfect record intact. It was old school AFC North versus new school AFC North on Sunday night football. And when you hear the score, you'll know which school was in session. It was 1917 Ravens throwing back to the days of yore with stingy defense and the greatest kicker of all time, Justin Tucker. Tucker, who will someday indeed find himself enshrined in Canton, showed why that isn't a hard argument to make once again as he booted a game-winning 43-yard field goal for the final play of the game. When kicking in the final minute of regulation, Justin Tucker is 17 of 17 all time. That's automatic. It was another narrow nighttime result when the Chiefs topped the Raiders 30-29 on Monday night, despite trailing at one point late in the second quarter 20-7. Before the half even came to an end, however, KC showed why they're so dangerous and why they might very well be unchanged in our Final Four this week. More on that later. With two passes, a penalty, and a 59-yard field goal, the Chiefs reduced their halftime deficit to 10 and came out hot in the third with a pair of Travis Kelsey touchdowns. But once again, for the hard luck losers of Las Vegas, a failed two-point conversion after their final score was the undoing as the Raiders fall to perhaps the most brutal one in four I can remember.
Uh, but them's the breaks, unfortunately. The ball bounces as it does. And that's why we love this game so much. You know, they might call soccer the beautiful game. But in Coach Dad's estimation, there's no game more beautiful than the savage poetry that is American professional football. Godlike athletes performing incredible feats of strength and agility in high-pressure, high-stakes situations. That's the NFL. That's Week 6. That's Commander's Bears on Thursday night. Yes, that's right. A game that even Vegas wanted nothing to do with kicks off our Week 6 slate with Washington traveling to Chicago for a pick'em that feels more frustrated than it does intriguing. Not like a, hmm, you pick, and more like a, oh, I don't know, just pick one already. I don't care. The Bears, whose record at home this season is somehow 2-0, have thrown the ball just 88 times this season. 88 times. You know the last time a team threw that few passes through five games? 1982. That was a strike season, folks. So while the Commanders can't stop anyone from throwing the ball, they might not even have to. I'll take the Commanders here because if there's ever been a game Mr. Thursday Night Carson Wentz will bring it to, it's at the Bears in week six of a one in four season. 49ers-Falcons, now that's a much better matchup, markedly better, despite the fact that it includes the Falcons, whose own passing game isn't exactly Air Coriel-esque itself, even when compared to the Bears. The Falks, who are getting 5.5 from the Niners, have kept games close all year long, losing a few particularly galling contests, like the week one spike-non-spike situation versus Jameis and the Saints, and last week's Boger-Brady bungle. But I think Coach Dad might well have struck gold sticking with the Niners thus far this season, as their defense continues to shape itself into one of, if not the, league's best. If that invasive species, the injury bug, doesn't wreak too much havoc, that is, as cornerback Emmanuel Mosley added himself to the list of key players who will not return this season, tearing his ACL versus Carolina. Superstar lineman Nick Bosa is limping this week, too, with a groin strain, so we definitely need to monitor those injuries. But even so, I think this 49er team will do enough to win, even if we do take Atlanta to cover. You know, it is indeed October, and therefore indeed the Halloween season. A certain chill in the air this week means the return of... (laughs) Oh, that's right, it's the trick-or-treat spooky special. It's back, folks. And unlike anything good or decent in this world, it's in Cleveland, Ohio. The Patriots visit the Browns this week in a matchup of two teams that I just can't make heads or tails of through five games. Cleveland is currently favored by three, and will look to Nick Chubb once again to establish an offensive rhythm for them. But he's up against one-time Browns coaching cast-off Bill Belichick, and a stout, sturdy defensive unit. I think sometimes we overestimate the impact of coaching in a game, but when you've got Belichick with a competent personnel group going up against a one-dimensional team doing everything it can to hide their quarterback, a quarterback that Bill is familiar with, that feels like a recipe for a bad night for Drew Carey, who I assume is a big Browns fan. 
Whether it's Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, or that young woman who tossed off Bob Kraft at the massage parlor in Florida a few years ago starting under center, I think the Road Dogs of New England will have two words for Cleveland. Win and cover. And doesn't count. It's a conjunction. My, 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 what a big spread you have. The better to take your money with, my dear. Now, that's what the big bad wolf would have said if he was... Uh, in charge of making spreads, I suppose. But that numbskull can huff and puff all he wants because we're going to build a house of bricks here today. I'm mixing my wolf stories, but do you care? Are we going to build those bricks of cement and red cement and the other thing bricks are made of? No, sir, we are not. We will build bricks of prudence and fiscal responsibility because it's time to bring back... The Coach Dad Safe Play Parlay. Oh, I've missed being so responsible, folks. It's like using your turn signal and the hand signals at the same time. Safety first and second. Where are we finding those significant spreads that could use our point purchasing power to safen up? First, we'll look to the not-yet-frozen-but-plenty-cold-I'm-sure tundra of Green Bay where the Pack, reeling from their London loss to the Giants, play host to their recent opponent's annoying little brother, the N-Y-J-E-T-S, fresh off a surprising result of their own, though they were the beneficiaries of that upset. The Pack are currently laying seven, and while I don't think that's an impossible number to hit, I think that buying a mere six points and changing the spread to Green Bay laying one will help us all breathe a little easier. I think Green Bay will ultimately win this game, but they don't look right. And the Jets don't look wrong. A blind resume check might convince one to take the road dogs, but Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay, off a loss, trying to avoid 3-3. Three and three. If this pack squad is to be taken seriously as a contender, they win this game. But with the CPS double P, that's about all it'll take. Where else will we find our big number ripe for some teasing? How about the Steel City, where the hapless Steeler campaign for the number one pick continues while they let divorce Tom Brady and the Bucks crash in their couch just for a night, just to get their heads right. You know, man, the Bucks, despite their struggles on and off the field, are eight points favorites. And once again, I don't necessarily see that number as egregiously wrong but I'd feel a whole lot better if the Bucs only had to win by three here. Grab those six points and make it happen, Bucks laying two. How about the final leg of our safe play parlay? You know, patience is a virtue, so stop rushing it. It's another NFC contender versus NFC pretender matchup whose result doesn't feel in question. But do you feel comfortable hanging 10.5 points with the current LA Rams? I certainly don't. Not even going into Carolina to face Baker Mayfield, who, honestly, folks, uh, really sucks. I hate to say it. You you never want to be too critical. It's a bad look. Uh, But in comparison to other NFL quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield is pretty bad. So lowering the number the bruised and battered Rams need to top him by to four and a half seems fairly academic to me. So in total, you're buying the six points, your T's and Packers Jets spread down to Green Bay laying one, Bucks spread down to Bucks laying two to Pittsburgh, and the Rams-Panthers spread to the Rams laying four and a half, and you're thanking me for this lesson in safe and responsible play. Now, where are my thrill seekers? Come on, don't be shy, admit it. 
You don't like the safe play parlays, do you? No, no, that's a cheap win for the likes of you. You like to be bold. You like to be brash. You like to be dangerous, huh? Well, okay, I suppose we can take an upset. Especially if that upset is over a team I might, I feel might be quite bad. Yet they're still laying points. And double especially if that upset means the re-railing of the Jags Jeep Jags Junction never says die, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why we're taking the Jags, who venture into Indianapolis to play the Colts in an AFC South battle that might double as an unofficial eliminator. If the Jags can shake off those two rough losses, they'll be 3-3 three and three and have plenty of season in front of them. If the Colts can keep the mojo rising and win their second straight, but uh, let's remember, the first of those two will still be 12-9 over the Broncos, no matter what happens in this game, and get their record to 3-2-1. and one. Call me a sucker, but at least I'm a consistent sucker. Jags cover the two and a half and win this one outright. Vikings-Dolphins could well be one of the most intriguing matchups this week, if not for that, ah, that pesky concussion protocol that Miami now has two quarterbacks in losing backup Teddy Bridgewater in last week's loss to the Jets. Rookie QB Skylar Thompson will make his first NFL start, though head coach Mike McDaniel thinks Bridgewater will be cleared for a backup role Sunday because, of course, he does. Minnesota is one of the least convincing 4-1 teams ever, and other than Week 1 seven-point Packer output, teams have been able to put points on the board against them. But with Miami so deep in the depth chart, I don't know if the orange and teal can move the ball enough to keep the Vikings' potent offensive weapons, Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, nor the quarterback who threatens to nullify all their good plays every time he drops back, Kirk Cousins, off the field. Take the visiting Vikings to win and cover the three and a half they're handing the Dolphins. The Bengals travel to New Orleans for another potentially good, potentially bad, definitely difficult to pick game versus Saints. I tell you, week six is like a haunted house. Thrills, chills, and spills around every corner. God, I hate Halloween. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow knows the area quite well from his days as an SEC hero at LSU. And he might have seen more complex defenses during his tenure there than he will this Sunday. Burrow is going to have a big day and carve up this New Orleans defense, take the Bengals to win, and cover the little line one and a half to be specific. Oh, baby, here's the good stuff. Giants-Ravens, a rematch of one of the worst Super Bowls of all time, playing right here in Coach Dad's backyard. The Giants are among the most surprising 4-1 teams I've seen in a while. But the more I see them play, the more understandable that record becomes. They control the clock. They run the football. They don't make mistakes. And defensive coordinator Wink Martindale has his guys fired up and on script every single week. Who did Martindale used to work for, you might ask? Why, the Baltimore Ravens, which makes him uniquely qualified to drop a game plan to slow down the dynamic Ravens QB, Lamar Jackson. I don't know if anyone can truly stop Mr. Jackson, so I believe the Ravens will ultimately win this game. But that five-and-a-half-point figure they're laying, I think the Giants cover it. I'm saying it's a close one. Take the Ravens to win and the Giants to cover the five and a half. Two huge matchups dot the later day on Sunday. Potentially a preview of both halves of our final four this week. Starting off with the second round rematch we've all been waiting for. 
Chiefs v. Bills, Arrowhead Stadium, 425 kickoff, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, playfully flirting for four quarters. Does it get better? I say no, it does not. This is sure to be an exciting game, as both teams, despite a few hiccups, have looked to be in prime contendership form. And I have to imagine Buffalo has had this game circled for a long time. Now, I've always found that to be a little silly, quite frankly, the the idea of the regular season revenge game. You know, they won't change the result to last year's playoffs, you know. If a fella sleeps with your wife and then to get back at him, you buy a nicer version of the slacks you found on your bedroom floor when you discovered it happening, I don't really know how much revenge you're getting. That said, it might indeed matter a little more to Buffalo. And in a game this intriguing, with teams this talented, in a season this young, that might be enough to tip the scales. Let's take the Bills to win and cover the three they're laying as a road favorite. That's right, Patrick Mahomes is getting points at home, and we're not taking him. Oh, no. The other mega matchup on Sunday is a divisional affair. Kicking off on Sunday night, it's the rush-era Dallas Cowboys, who continue to dominate on defense and do enough on offense versus the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles, who had to rely on some late-game errors by the Cards to keep that record spotless. Philly is at home and laying a firm five, but this is a game that just about everyone has an opinion on. As of recording, Cooper Rush is slated to make the start for Dallas, despite regular QB Dak Prescott potentially being available if need be. That might honestly be good news for Dallas fans, as OC Kellen Moore has had to vary his play calling and manage the clock more once the dual-threat gunslinger went down in Week 1. Will the McCarthy-Moore connection continue to be so cautious once Dak's back? Who knows? But it won't be the Dallas offense that wins this game if Dallas were to win. It would be this relentless, overwhelming defense with its breakout pass rush superstar Micah Parsons winning the battle with Philly's high-powered Hurts Donut offense. I do think Philly will be able to run the ball well enough to lessen the impact of Dallas's aggressive blitzing and think ultimately will escape still undefeated. But it won't be easy. Take the birds to win, but the boys to cover the five. You'll notice I actually did the Sunday night game before the Sunday slate was complete, and that's that's because our celebrity guest this week has requested to pick a specific game. I know. I know it might seem fishy that I'm avoiding picking the Cardinals and the Seahawks, two teams I can't seem to get right and don't even enjoy trying to. But listen, when a head of state asks you to pick a game, you let him pick the game he wants to pick. Isn't that right, Coach Barack Obama? Uh, sure is, Coach Dad. I pick uh, the Seahawks. Thanks, Barry. Finally, Monday Night Football is taking over the town. Unfortunately, we have no say in the matter either, rowdy friends or otherwise, because it is yet again a Broncos primetime game. I, I, I understand They've got the time zone thing going on with many of their games. Russell Wilson seemed like he was going to be a draw. The AFC West was supposed to be the best uh, division in football. But unfortunately, no one knew what Lovecraftian horrors were about to be unleashed on an unsuspecting public the first time we heard, Broncos Nation, let's ride. And ride they will into a divisional matchup with the confusing Chargers of Los Angeles in SoFi Stadium. The Chargers are coming off two road victories, so I'm sure they'd be happy to hear the roar of their adoring fans if they had any. But even still, matching up with the way over his head Nathaniel Hackett 
and the way up his own ass Russell Wilson has to feel like a boon. I have no doubt Brandon Staley will do something questionable, but I have even less doubt that Nathaniel Hackett is a bad coach. So let's split the difference again here and take the bolts to win, but not by the five they're laying. Take Denver to cover that. Well, there you have it, folks. Our first week with buys. Got to be honest, not all that upset about it. Uh, before we go, however, we do have our final four and our first four. Identifying the four teams I think will be playing on title game weekend and the four teams who will be doing research on the top draft prospects that very same day. Starting with the first four, the fetid four, if you will. Uh, we've got Pittsburgh, mm, Houston, Washington, and in our only change from the initial rankings, Let's welcome in the Carolina Panthers. Congratulations, guys. You're in. We'll have to send Matt Rule a gift. Oh, that's right. He got fired. I'm sorry. And how about those final fours, huh? No change on the AFC side. For now, as the Bills and the Chiefs continue to look like the two top teams in that conference, but they'll get an early taste this week, which is sure to shake up the rank. And over in the NFC, well, we could argue we'll find ourselves in the same situation as Philly has certainly not lost any footing, and San Francisco, our other Final Four team last week, held serve over the Panthers. Injury questions might ultimately push SF out, and both Dallas and even New York have matchups this week that might very well end up catapulting them upwards, but for now, we'll hold here too. Which means your Final Four for Week 6 is the same as it was for Week 5. Buffalo, Kansas City, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. Well, there you have it, folks. Another rich, full weekend of Coach Dad action. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Don't forget, you can reach out directly at cooldademail at gmail.com. Remember, we're rooting for good sportsmanship, no injuries. Remember, we're always betting responsibly. And most importantly, remember, Coach Dad loves you. (laughs) 